Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, if you haven't done so, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. This month is June, and you know what that means? Happy Pride Month! To all my listeners in the LGBTQ community, Happy Pride Month! To all my listeners, like myself, who are allies of the LGBT community, Happy Pride Month! On this episode, I talk with Patrick Driscoll, who served in Senegal from 2014 to 2016. Patrick is gay. We talk about how that shaped his service, but it did not define his service. Patrick has some amazing stories that I think you guys will really enjoy. And for those of you who want to check out more LGBT stories, be sure to go over to LGBT rpcv.org, the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Return Peace Corps Volunteers Group, where you can find out tons of information, especially some great information for PC applicants. Without further ado, here is Patrick Driscoll's episode. And again, happy Pride Month. This is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. My name is Patrick Driscoll, and this is my Peace Corps story. I served with the Peace Corps in Senegal from 2014 to 2016. And in Senegal, for those of you that don't know, homosexuality is illegal. This episode is focusing on pride for a spoiler alert. Uh, When I found out that homosexuality was illegal before I departed for my service, I was immediately... Uh, a little bit nervous about the next two years of my life. When I was leaving, I was about 25. I just finished grad school. I just met my first kind of real boyfriend. I was volunteering at Pride events, really involved in the community. And I was comfortable with being out of the closet, living it up in Denver, Colorado, which has a really cool scene there. And my senior year of college, I really came out to everyone in college, my family, friends. So it was actually not that terrible of a coming out experience, but um, don't want to focus too much on that. But I was content with living my life out of the closet. And then when I decided to do Peace Corps, I was slowly realizing that I kind of had to jump back into the closet, especially in a country like Senegal where homosexuality is illegal. When I arrived in country, it took me a while to come out to fellow American volunteers for other LGBTI folks out there. You know, you know, it always, it's never really that easy to come out sometimes. And for some people, I'm sure it is, but for me, it definitely wasn't. And a 
I still had this boyfriend, Manuel. He was from Colombia. We met in grad school. We decided to do the long distance thing. And around the end of our PST training, I finally told kind of some of my closest Peace Corps friends at the local bar close to the training center where obviously everybody gossips. And within, by the, well, by the time I got to my site after PST, it seems like everybody in the country knew that I uh, was gay <laughs> since Peace Corps gossip literally knows no bounds. Um, during our three-month language, through, during the PST process, so being an LGBT uh, volunteer was addressed several times through our diversity training, etc. We spoke with local staff, um, host country nationals uh, about strategies, about how to deal with it. However, it was kind of reiterated over and over again that we were supposed to just stay in the closet the entire time for our own safety. It wasn't worth being out and proud to put yourself at risk. And uh, the safe haven of kind of volunteer events, volunteer parties, when we would get together in the Capitol, et cetera, those were going to be the only times that we could express ourselves, talk about, you know, these hidden feelings that we were uh, kind of harboring underneath the surface. And of course, over the cor- over the course of my service, other LGBT uh, other LGBTQ volunteers and myself, we would get together pretty frequently, and we would express frustrations about you know local culture uh, not being accepting some things we were overhearing. There were some slang words that were bad, and we would just want to hang out and kind of um, shoot the shit. I don't know how swearing works on this, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, without my other LGBT volunteers and my straight ally, ally peers, luckily in an organization like Peace Corps, most people were allies. Uh, but yeah, without them, I don't think I could have made it through the entire 27-month commitment of the Peace Corps. Um, in Senegal, we live with host families. Mine was literally the best. It immediately accepted me. Mine was kind of weird. I was the sixth volunteer that they had, which I don't think is technically supposed to happen in the Peace Corps. So they were super used to weird Americans living under their roof, but they accepted me quickly. They helped me with language and they basically adopted me uh, as much as they could. And of course, Senegal is 92% Muslim. So they were Muslim. And this topic of homosexuality was pretty rarely discussed in the household, if at all. And my host brother, who has actually kind of evolved into be my like real brother and best friend in country, he was closest to my age, and we bonded very quickly. And he was the only kind of local person that, outside of kind of HCN Peace Corps people, that I ever thought about telling about my sexuality, only because of how close we got over two years. And he told me things about his relationships and pressure from his family to get married, blah, blah, blah. And he was always like, what's it like in the States? And I was like, well, my situation is a little bit different. But um, this all kind of changed right after marriage uh, became legal in the States. This happened when I was in abroad, was actually in Senegal. And I was in our training center at the time. And we had like an amazing party. Everyone was celebrating. It was so magical. And when I got back to site, my brother, host brother Malik, he made kind of a derogatory comment about um, Gorgigens, which literally translates to like man woman. 
And it's the derogatory term for homosexuals and how basically in the States, why would they ever let something like this happen? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> like this cool guy, he's one of my really good friends. And then he's saying these things and it just kind of brings you back to reality sometimes about cultural dynamics and how different perceptions mean different things in different cultures, etc. So in this specific moment, my mind was kind of racing and I was trying to come up with a response that A would like not out me. B would hopefully try to shift his perspective a little bit and maybe change his mind even. And I, I even thought about coming out to him, but I, at the, like the same time, there was another volunteer in another region of the country that had written in his blog about being an LGBT volunteer um, in his village and somebody from his village, strangely enough, had access to internet, Reddit, could read English well enough and he was kind of outed and he was evacuated due to security reasons. So that happened like right around the same time. So I didn't want to risk being kind of, um, or not, what is it called? Early separation. Um, and you know, end my service that way. So, cause the Peace Corps deemed it as a threat to his safety. I don't know if that had to happen to me. So I decided to ask him kind of my weird roundabout strategy of getting to the issue was asking how he would feel about one of his family members or some of his closest friends who I became friends with over the two years, telling them that they were gay or lesbian and in love or trans or something and in love with another man or woman. And he basically told me that this was impossible and that he did, uh, this didn't exist in Senegal. And I then kind of countered with, if it doesn't exist in Senegal, then why is it illegal in Senegal? They can't make something illegal if it doesn't exist. And then he was like, well, touche. <laughs> and I was like, woohoo, point. But he responded that it probably kind of does exist, but only in large cities. So in small towns, villages, um, it didn't exist. Anything like that would just be for the westernized uh, infiltration of this weird culture into Senegalese culture in the large cities like Dakar. So I went back and forth for a while and I kind of feel like I normalized the concept a bit for him. Didn't think I changed his mind in one foul swoop and we kind of didn't uh, talk about it much afterwards, which was fine. And I was a little worried that when I left at the end of my service, he was going to revert back to is thinking about homosexuality, that it's just plain disgusting, wrong, doesn't exist in Senegal, etc. But weirdly enough, a few months before, my boyfriend, we were still doing a long distance and still succeeding at it, which, as everyone in the Peace Corps can tell you, is sometimes difficult to do. Um, Manuel came to visit uh, from Senegal. So it's kind of weird how it worked out. So in Senegal, it's common for people of the same sex to share a bed. So it wasn't weird for us to share kind of like the same room. I had my own separate little compound from my family. So we had our own little space, which was nice. And of course, as in many cultures, handholding is normal between two men or two women. And that this was kind of strange for me when I first got there and was super protective about my sexuality and didn't want anyone to know. And I would walk, literally the mayor of my town would 
come and grab my hand and like take me around the village and just be like, you know, scantering around with him holding hands. And I was like, this is strange. And so when my boyfriend came, I was like, we should do this. It could be cool. But we ended up not because when two non-Senegalese men do it, or if there's not a Senegalese guy in the equation, it still seems a little bit strange. Because basically, no matter what you do as a Peace Corps volunteer to local culture, you're to local people, you're strange. So I was too terrified of doing that and being found out and jeopardizing kind of the town's perception of me. And um, when he was in Senegal, though, my Senegalese family, especially my host mom, like loved him. Uh, after he left, I had several visitors come visit me in Senegal. My mom, my brother, some of my best friends, some other RPCVs, obviously current PCVs in Senegal. But he was basically the only one that my host mom and my host brother continued to ask about throughout the rest of the service. Though so they would always, well, they would ask about my mom. And then they would always ask about Manuel or the guy from Colombia, since he was kind of, I, I think it kind of started because he was Colombian and he wasn't from the United States. So they, my host family was just kind of mesmerized by the, the idea that there was a Colombian in their town. And, uh, but that kind of continued throughout the service. And I, I kind of took an undercurrent and felt as if they also could read into how important he was to me, since I think my body language would, would, might've been a little bit obvious, but, um, the topic of our true relationship was never really broached. Uh, and yeah, it was just strange. My host family really ever only asked about Manuel and again, my mom. So fast forward to today, uh, it's, I got back in 2016, March and my host brother Malik has a smartphone and a Facebook profile. We chat pretty frequently. I chat with other people in Senegal, some of my friends, and we want to check in about uh, each other's families. Malik, again, has Facebook. We're now Facebook friends. And he clearly sees that I take all these photos with this guy from Colombia and we're way more than friends on social media. And we hold hands in photos and generally look like a normal, adorable couple. And now he literally asked about Manuel all the time. He's always like, what is Manuel up to? Um, how's he doing? How's Colombia? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, so he, unless he's in denial, he definitely understands that there's a little bit more. And he even has told me that his mom, my, oh, my former host mom, well, my forever host mom, I should say, uh, also wants to know about him. And I think it's amazing. And even our neighbors and his friends and some of my other good friends ask about my friend, quote unquote, from Colombia. So kind of in a weird roundabout way and kind of a natural way, I would say, I never really had to come out to my Senegalese family, but they still like weirdly accepted it without it never actually being mentioned aloud. So now uh, I kind of joke and I'm like going to send them, especially with my, he's my fiance now, actually Manuel. And I always joke with him that I'm going to send them invitations to their first gay wedding coming up soon. Um, which is kind of like, I guess how I'll start my spiel about pride in, um, in living in Senegal as an RPCV or a PCV at the time. Well, Patrick, thank you for that introduction and congratulations on your engagement. Thank you so much. You gave us an amazing background into your service as a 
gay volunteer and some of the hardships. I think most of the people who are listening know and understand that uh, being a person of the LGBT community is uh, more difficult a lot of times uh, in the countries where Peace Corps volunteers serve. A lot of times it is uh, illegal in, in these countries like it was in Senegal, and that is a difficulty. And I've talked with other volunteers who have said, the exact same thing that they, you know, had come out of the closet to their friends and family and were living this life and that Peace Corps more or less tells them uh, that they have to go back into the closet. And I think maybe sometimes volunteers want to want to push back on that and want to maybe challenge the status quo and say, no, I should be myself. Um, this is who I am. What what do you think about that? Do you think it, it's a uh, a right uh, the right way to go about it to go back into the closet, or do you feel that do you wish maybe that you had come out? I mean, you talked about that other volunteer that he didn't even come out; he was found out and then had to leave for security reasons. So, what's what's your sort of take on um, the need to go back into the closet? Uh, in terms of Peace Corps. As a whole, I think it's very situational um, and kind of the idea of when you're a Peace Corps volunteer, you're living and working and shopping and befriending people and your entire world is your site, essentially. And if if you get there, I, I think my one recommendation to would be not to initially come out uh, like out of the closet roaring and, you know, with pride flags and claiming that you're going to change the culture over your two year process until you really kind of get a reading of your situation. For me, it didn't seem feasible and kind of safe in some regard for me to do it. But for other volunteers in other parts of the world where it's not as illegal or maybe they're, they become super close with very, very close with a local counterpart or something. And they feel comfortable in sharing that. I think it's totally fine. I think the Peace Corps has a, has a point in saying that you should go back in the closet. I hate to say that since ideally I would want to increase visibility of LGBT people in Senegal, for example, or other countries and emerging nations around the world to improve it for local host country nationals to identify uh, in the LGBT spectrum. But it's kind of finding a balance where you separate that part of who you are and what you're trying to do in the Peace Corps. If you're in the Peace Corps to do technical work, to engage in cultural, cross-cultural communication, language learning, befriending local communities, and you want to do some cool projects in community economic development, which is what I focus in, or health, or agriculture, or education, then jeopardizing all of that just to come out of the closet, uh, it, it didn't balance out for me. But that, that was kind of my angle from it. But if you're there as more as a, of a cultural identifier of kind of Western ideas, even though being LGBT obviously isn't a Western idea, but accepting it might be right now. So if you want to do that, then, you know, volunteers should definitely feel entitled to. I think it's essentially situational, up to the volunteer, up to the village, town, up to the country. It all kind of, it's a hard, broad stroke 
question to answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think with just the, maybe the general recommendations that you have as a Peace Corps volunteer, when you first go into your community, uh, as with maybe not starting projects, uh, you know, in the first few months of just take it easy and get yeah. a sense for the community and make those friendships and then slowly start, you know, moving, uh, moving forward with whatever you're doing, be it your, your work as a volunteer, you know, as you said, whether you're in the community economic development sector and then, you know, these things are going to come up like this conversation that you had with Malik, uh, about, you know, homosexuality. I know I had several conversations, um, as a, as a straight volunteer, uh, because they knew I was an American and they would hear things on the news and it, it was, uh, a, a topic, uh, more times than I expected. Um, so these, you know, you will have opportunities to talk about it and, and get a sense now, what exactly were you doing as a community economic volunteer? Hundred million dollar question. Um, <laughs> so technically, I was in a, a site in the Delta Scenic Saloon, which is a really beautiful part of Senegal. So we, I, I went there because I was writing my master's thesis at the time in sustainable ecotourism and microfinance. So I had this, like, you know, perfect. Peace Corps idea, which I think a lot of us have before we get to site of creating this amazing um, ecotourism project and revolutionizing the outside marketing to like West Europe and stuff for this town, which is trying to bolster its tourism industry. And of course, I ended up kind of succeeding in that regard. I was very fortunate because I got placed in a site and exactly what I wanted to do, which never happens, I think. <laughs> but um, I was working kind of in creating a rezo, uh, like a network of all the ecotourism actors within all of Senegal, specifically in my region, which was going to be used for kind of marketing purposes. We had this amazing tourism book that was created by Peace Corps volunteers a few, I think maybe five, four or five years before I got to country. So updating that. And then I really kind of fell into this idea of Moringa uh, when I had a bunch of downtime. So basically I was waiting for things to happen higher up in the Senegalese government and in the bureaucracy of the Peace Corps for me to get a green light to go ahead with some of my glorious ecotourism ideas that like 90% of them didn't come to fruition. So I happened to be surrounded by a bunch of agroforestry volunteers and Moringa was a huge thing that the Peace Corps was pushing. So I paired up with a bunch of them and health volunteers as well to do kind of uh, a tour around about the agricultural aspects about growing Moringa, the economic, um, how you can sell it, basically transform it into powder, uh, transform the seeds into oil and then sell it for profit. So kind of the said perspective. And then obviously a health volunteer would come in and do the health benefits of Moringa, which was fun. Um, so that kind of became a huge part of my second year. And then, yeah, local, because I was so close to a bunch of other ag volunteers, I would just help out a lot of them with economic aspects of agriculture and how to sell products, market them better, record keeping, you know, basic financial literacy, all of those things. And, um, I, the one, one cool thing I was able to do is work with a local women's group to, uh, to kind of create 
a microfinance, like tontine is what they were called in Senegal, like lending between these women. I was able to help them streamline all of their processes and they were like some badass ladies. So they loved me. I loved them. So that was pretty fun. Um, so yeah, those were kind of the big things. We did reforestation since our region was in the mangroves and I led that or kind of co-led that, um, two times, I think. So all over the place as in the Peace Corps you're want to do with your initial idea and it just evolves into a zillion other things. Yeah. And your, your service and all the projects you were naming off, I was also a said volunteer. So it's like, yep, I did that and that. And that I'm pretty sure everything you named, I I did some semblance of it as well. Um, so we had uh, sort of similar uh, work experiences as volunteers. And you know, through your service, one of the questions that I always ask people is just sharing, you know, one of those uh, funny stories we heard. You know, you, you began with this l- larger, overarching story of uh, being an LGBT volunteer in Senegal. Uh, but do you have a specific story um, either related to that or just in general that you really enjoy? Um, it doesn't have to be related to the work you actually did as a volunteer, just anything from your time in Senegal. Uh, sure. Well, uh, yeah, I think I have two pretty decent stories. One of them is uh, one of those glorious volunteer get-togethers, we uh, decided to camp out on this island called Cebo Island for, I believe it was St. Patrick's Day was the event and why it was happening. And just to get away, we all had been at site for a long time and just wanted to kind of take a break for a little bit. So we rented a boat. One of our good friends, Senegalese guy, Ibu, uh, took us on his boat to this island and I really hadn't known that much about the island. It was close to my site, actually. And I, I guess there had been volunteers on these islands over the years, but that was deemed a little bit too, too much to be a safety concern to have a volunteer on an island, you know, just in case something bad happens. But um, we got there. We were swimming, merrymaking, listening to music, having a good time. And then we kind of made it back to shore after we were swimming and uh, – kind of to set up camp and to start eating and, you know, getting ready to kind of cool down for the day. And this like ancient woman. And, and also this was one of those times that uh, I think I had been really fed up with something at site. There was a uh, spray paint that was happening uh, about the president at the time, Maki Sal, saying that he was a homosexual and that was supposed to take away from obviously his credibility. And so people wouldn't vote for him. Uh, and that was like all over my town at the time. And so I like needed to get out of there, which is part of the reason why I agreed to go to this Island vacation, uh, which kind of, yeah, it was just very frustrating. So get to this Island, get back to the campsite and this ancient woman is there and she alone and she kind of introduces herself. She speaks Sarer. My local language was Wolof and we had some Sarer volunteers with us. So they were kind of translating for all of us non-Sarer speakers. And she ended up being the queen of Cebu Island, which I thought was just kind of like a funny thing at the time, only later to find out that she was literally the queen of Cebu Island, like a monarch. And there's she's famous in the region, and even people in my town know of her. And she, I feel like she's like 120 years old. She just looks that old. And she meandered from the village, 
when she heard a ruckus, I guess, or somebody went and told her since she was the queen. And I'm sure she has, you know, once something happens on the island, she knows about it immediately. And she was the coolest lady ever. And a whole bunch of volunteers together sometimes is an overwhelming, uh, rambunctious group, (laughs) which I'm sure many people can associate with. And she was totally chill. He sat under a tree was just watching with watching us joking with us. She's a former griot, which is kind of a singer poet. Uh, she was too old to do that now. And she just was telling us stories about the Island, uh, again, through the Sorare volunteers who were translating for us. And we just like loved her and she was so cool. She wanted us to go to the village, uh, to meet everybody and all of this stuff. And she, yeah, she came alone too, which was just wild to me. And, um, she just rested under this mango tree, watched us dance and, you know, make fools of ourselves as Peace Corps volunteers or want to do whenever they're together. And she eventually just got up and walked back to the village. And that was like the end of that. And then a bunch of guys showed up a little bit later who were local musicians from the island. And she had apparently sent them to like entertain us. And it just was like one of those days in the Peace Corps that you're like, this is awesome. This culture is great. The people are fantastic. Everything like the night was beautiful. Of course there were zillion mosquitoes, but in that part of uh, Senegal, there are always zillion mosquitoes. I can't really complain about that. That's one of those magical times. And then the second anecdote that I'll mention just very quickly is I traveled to Spain very quick for uh, like a week, I don't know, a week of trip or something when I was in Senegal. And I was with Manuel. I met my boyfriend Manuel and one of his friends, uh, always for new year's. And we ended up at a small city outside of Barcelona. I can't remember the name, but there were a bunch of Senegalese folks kind of on the coast selling knockoff bags and jewelry and every, all this stuff in Spain, which is pretty normal in Europe. And they both speak Spanish, obviously being from Colombia. So they were trying to barter with the Senegalese women about what bags they wanted and they wanted to get for gifts for various people back in Colombia. And I walked up kind of like pretending not to know them. And I started speaking to these Senegalese ladies in Wolof and I'm like 1000% white. Uh, do I have no reason to speak Wolof in Spain. And they literally just like freaked out and they were like, Oh my God, called all of their friends over and all of these other Senegalese people, uh, women came over and they just were like, why do you speak Wolof? Like, this is great. And was able to get an amazing break, uh, an amazing price for both my boyfriend and his amazing friend. And it just was like one of those magical experiences that even when you're not in your country of service, you can still have these amazingly magical moments. I also love those times when I can bust out my local language, which hasn't happened often since uh, returning from the Peace Corps. But have you been able to uh, use your Wolof, even for little one-off instances like that, since you uh, returned from your service? No, and it's so sad. I moved right after the Peace Corps. I ended up actually in like northern Florida for reasons that I won't get into. But there was zero opportunities there. And then I moved to Mexico City, or actually down to Colombia to be with my fiance. And there's not a lot of wool speaking going down in Colombia. And then moved to Mexico City with him when he got transferred there for a few months before I moved back again to the States. And there's not a lot of wolves here in Mexico City, unfortunately. And when I moved back to the States, I moved to Los Angeles. And I tried everything to find 
any sort of Senegalese group or meetup or restaurant or something, and it just wasn't possible. However, Yusindor, who's a very famous Senegalese singer, did come to L.A. when I was there. And it was like the Senegalese people of the Western United States came out of the woodwork and descended upon this theater in Los Angeles. And it was magical. And I, that night I spoke as much Wolof as I possibly could and realized how much I'd forgotten. But luckily I stay in touch with my host brother pretty frequently and call my host mom. And I have a really good friend uh, named Jal who I call pretty frequently. And so that helps me keep up with it and practice it. But I definitely need to figure out better ways to keep it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely struggled to keep up uh, my my Bombara, which has dwindled to almost nothing. Uh, but if you're ever in Washington, D.C., where I am, uh, I can give you some good recommendations for Senegalese restaurants. And if you get an Uber, oh, there's man. there's like a 20% chance that the person's going to be from Senegal. Uh, so you can bust out your bluff there. And, oh. then all, and then also in New York City in Harlem, there's this one little street that it just smells like West Africa, just from like the perfumes and the cooking and everything. Uh, so if you make it over to the East Coast, uh, you might be able to, to, to brush up a little bit. Yeah, I got to get there. And I have a lot of friends in D.C. and in New York, and I would love to take them to Senegalese restaurants to have them experience the food, even though I feel like the Senegalese food in New York and D.C. might not be the same as my small town in Senegal, but we'll uh, prob- see. <laughs> pro- probably not. It's going to be a little bit more expensive, uh, sadly. <laughs> like a 25 or no, probably 10 cent bowl of cheb rice and fish. Mm-hmm. Oh, I miss that. Well, now that you've shared uh, two amazing stories with us, uh, you know the island and the the old woman, the, the the queen of this island, and dancing, and then just you know the the short little antidote of being able to bust out your wool off in Spain uh, of all places. Let's shift to one of those more difficult times of your service, and what is a time that during your service that really like really rocked you emotionally and just made you sort of question why, why am I here or should I be here? And it, it, you can tie it into um, the sort of the theme for, for pride month, but just take it and make it what you want. What is something that you really struggled with and experienced as a volunteer in Senegal? Uh, sure. There's definitely one that immediately comes to mind. There was this teenager who, uh, this teenage guy who's like 17, maybe 17 or 18. And he, uh, had been discovered for being homosexual and he had been going to, uh, being gay basically. And he had been going to the larger town that was about two hours up the road. And there was kind of an underground scene there. Um, and someone had spotted him, I think, and reported it back to somebody in our town. And if you're in a small town, everyone finds out quickly, especially your family. And he was essentially, uh, this was all kept kind of hush-hush from me because these types of huge kind of town village events, I feel like, are oftentimes hidden from volunteers because I think the local culture wants to protect their how they view themselves in our eyes and don't want to be seen as something like this, which is a weird concept that I've kind of grappled with for a while as to why nobody told me that this was happening. Cause I definitely, this, I probably would have done something about, 
But essentially, he was kicked out of his family, kicked out of Socon. He fled to the capital. Uh, this like kid, he didn't have any family there. I uh, can't imagine what he did in the capital. But he probably, I, I hope he found you know, some sort of community. But he ended up coming back to Socon, uh, where my, my town Socon, and his father had passed away when he was gone. And that turned into a fiasco. This is kind of when I became aware of it. And people were blaming him for his father's death because he was a homosexual. And I remember like having to leave the town because I was so kind of like pissed at everyone <laughs> and had to, and I didn't know what to do, what I could do about it. I didn't know who to call just kind of helpless in terms of either helping this person. I didn't even know who he, who he was. I'd never met him. Like I can't walk into this family's compound and be like, you know, this year, patriarch figure didn't die because your son his son was homosexual like that obviously would have put me in an awkward place so i just had to get out for a while and i i know i last night heard was this guy like ended up back in the capital dakar and hopefully he's doing well i wish it's one of the things that i kind of wish i would have done better is i could have found out his contact information and maybe put him in contact with some organization because there are those that exist especially in the large cities that help uh, especially youth that are in situations like that. But uh, at the time, I didn't even like think I was so angry at everyone and had to just get out. And I went to our, we had regional houses in Senegal and I went to our regional house just to like decompress for like five days and just couldn't go back. I'd like, it was, I was ignoring calls from like my host brother because I just was, because he was saying bad things about it too. And it was pretty, pretty dark time. And this was kind of, just over midway point. So I think that was the closest I came to ETing. Uh, I was like debating it and talking to people back in the States and other volunteers and peer sport network came in to save the day, which plug for them. Um, I don't know if yeah, you had peer sport network, but they were, they were great when you needed them. Um, so yeah, that they helped out a lot. And then, you know, friends back home helped out a lot. And then I just kind of calmed down and got back to sight. And then it was out of sight, out of mind. And then again, kind of hit me again a month or so later being like, I didn't do anything for this person. So basically I felt awful. So it kind of was an eye-opening experience for me to get involved. So at the beginning when I said to kind of don't do anything, like there are ways that you can do things, especially in a situation like that, whether it's just finding out the contact information or like the phone number of the person. I could have done that and then put them in contact with someone, you know, and that wouldn't necessarily have put me in harm's way of being evacuated because of security reasons, but who knows? So that, that was definitely the darkest it got for me in Senegal. And that was just a wake up call to about local culture, no matter how close I could feel with my host family, host community coming out or talking about this issue it just was something that was so kind of polarizing. And if it happened to a local kid, basically, like what would happen to me? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that story. And hopefully, you know, everything is going well um, for your you know community member who's who's now in Dakar, and hopefully he's you know found a community there and and is doing well. I know that 
his story, sadly, is not all that unique uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. I heard of similar things in Burkina Faso and some that ended up way worse. I mean, if people finding out that, you know, someone in their community was was gay and then more or less being beaten to death on the street by by a group of people and there was a video that someone that I, I kind of know as a when I was in Peace Corps, uh, since, you know, you probably experienced the same thing since being back. I've had a lot of sort of just random people uh, from my village and, and community who have Facebook friended me. And, they, you know, they they're very active on Facebook and, and posting things. And they, they had posted this video of this guy um, just being beat in the middle of the street because he was gay. And, you know, I I, I had to restrain myself and I, I didn't comment because I still didn't. I didn't know if it was my place and I scrolled through the comments and everything. And luckily there were other people, other West Africans who were sort of uh, coming to this guy's side and saying, you know, even if uh, you don't agree, there's, there's no reason, you know, that he deserves to be beat like this. He's still a person. Um, so the, luckily there are people there in the community uh, in these countries oh, yeah. that, are, that are looking out for them. Um, but, Oftentimes, they're not the most outspoken. So, I mean, it's not a monolith. No, no culture is a monolith. So, obviously, I'm, I'm sure he had allies and friends and family members that would, you know, help him, give him like a little bit of money or something in the car, and because that's just how the the family system works. And it, it wasn't anything like violent. And once he gets to the car, it's a much more it's still very conservative in terms of um, religious overtones and kind of conservative <laughs> living, but it's so much more liberal than the town that I lived in. So I'm hoping that, you know, he found, he found his peeps. Mm -hmm. So since leaving Peace Corps, you gave us a little background that you've, you've bounced around a lot uh, being in Colombia, Florida, Mexico, LA. Uh, so you've had, a lot, a lot of different uh, places and experiences post Peace Corps. What do you miss about being a Peace Corps volunteer? Um, <clears throat> what do I miss about being a Peace Corps volunteer? Probably so many things. It's, it's, I mean, the, the grass is always greener on the other side, I think, with the Peace Corps. When you're in the service, uh, a lot of things are difficult. There are days where you don't literally have anything to do in Senegal, it got up to 120 degrees. You just sit under a tree and it's like too hot to read and too hot to think deep thoughts. You're just like blankly staring into the sky, which I hated at the time. And after, you know, 10 days in a row of that, it gets super annoying. But in retrospect, you know, again, everything is rosy, uh, in retrospect, those types of days where you're just hanging out with, your family, your friends or whatever with kind of like nothing to do. Not only not really because you couldn't do or you didn't have things to do. You just couldn't do them. I miss kind of those types of days. Uh, I miss having the complete, the Peace Corps has kind of a big brothers watching you thing when you're in sight. But on the other side of the coin, you're kind of your own boss and your life is intermingled with your work and your work is intermingled with your friendships and your friendships is in intermingled with your family. So it's all kind of connected. And I miss that 
type of mentality too, because I, I don't think I'm going to have that again. I'm not going to be working with my host brother and my host cousin to start a business and teach them financial literacy that will affect them and my family and like some of their friends and everything is connected. I feel like my life now is very kind of verticalized. So work is work, play is play, family is family, friends is friends. Uh, except it's not like intertwined as it was in Senegal. And I kind of miss that um, in a weird way. I don't know if I could have, I don't know if I could do that for the rest of my life because having that much, you know, inner intertwined, um, like kind of the concept of shitting where you eat <laughs> type thing. I don't know if I survive, uh, you know, 25 years of that, but I do miss it periodically. Now living in Mexico city, do you feel that you're able to maybe recreate a little bit more of that Peace Corps feel than you would be able to back in the United States? Or, I mean, since you're working a, a more normal nine to five job, um, is it still, you know, difficult, as you say, to, to have that overlap? It's, I think it's pretty difficult only because I'm based in Mexico city it's very similar to a large city in the States. It's, it's great because it's a different culture, different language, and you're kind of relearning things that you had learned in the Peace Corps, flexing those muscles, like cross-cultural communication, learning this new language, interacting with local people. But in a place like Mexico City, it's so international and there are a zillion expats. It's hard to... I mean, fortunately, I'm with Manuel, who's Colombian, so we hang out with a lot of Latinos, but I see a lot of other expats that live here that only hang out with other gringos, other Americans, which is fine. You know, that's their prerogative. The same thing happened in Senegal with expats in the capital, and I feel like that happens in a lot of countries with expats that live in the capital. If we lived in a small town or a village, then maybe it would be a little bit closer to Peace Corps. But yeah, I don't, I don't see much overlap except for just those language immersion, cultural things, which are just fun and exciting anyway. Mm -hmm. And then did you learn anything in Peace Corps that sort of changed your outlook on, on life and that has helped you, you know, now living in Mexico City and continuing to, to be an expat abroad? What are some of the lessons that you learned there that you've carried with you? So many things. I feel like the biggest takeaway uh, of Senegal was the things I learned about myself. I mean, I definitely, I was fairly successful in projects and integrating and, you know, making connections and blah, blah, blah. But the internal, um, what is that, in interpersonal skill building <laughs> was really strong for me, at least. And prior to the Peace Corps, I was living in D.C., uh, well, I was living in DC, then I moved to Denver for grad school, but still in Denver, it was the same. I had school, I had internships, I had more than one internship at a time. I was working at a restaurant. I, uh, was training for marathons and very active in gyms and everything was so, all my time was made up. I was a founder of the crew team at the university of Denver. I just needed to be busy all of the time, which is not a really great mentality to have when you are going to the Peace Corps for 27 months, because there's definitely going to be times when that's not the case. And that's one of the largest takeaways of 
the Peace Corps that I've taken up. Biggest takeaways that I've taken away. Very well said. But um, is just being able to chill and not have things to do all the time. And I've noticed post Peace Corps, I've sometimes fallen back into the regimented schedule, but it's much easier for me now just to have nothing to do and be totally content with that. And it's not like the U.S. New New York mentality, for example, of like everyone walks a mile a minute and doesn't have time to greet anyone else and going to work, going to gym, going to the bar, going to meet up with friends. You know, there's just so many more things to do. And one of those things is just sitting down and like reading a book or meditating or just literally doing nothing. I think that's, that's that was huge for me. Um, definitely prior to the Peace Corps, I, I think I was a little bit more introverted and throughout the Peace Corps, I was able to get some internal positions. I became national diversity coordinator and I was the, our regional work zone coordinator. And I actually served as the liaison between volunteers and staff at one point. So it helped me build kind of those leadership management skills in many ways that I was kind of lacking as a 25 year old grad student who like was blah in undergrad <laughs> and like didn't do much. And I think the Peace Corps really helped me grow in that regard. And even public speaking, you know, one of the hardest things you're going to do in the Peace Corps is get up in front of a bunch of local people from your town and have to do a training in local language. Like there's nothing more terrifying in terms of public speaking, in my opinion, than that. And once you're able to do that, it really kind of eases your ability to do that in the future. So those are kind of hard skills that I, that I gained, but yeah, just the ability to be with myself alone, chilling and not freaking out about everything all the time. And that's the biggest thing I took, I took away. Definitely good lessons. I wish I, maintained more of that i've definitely reverted back into the uh, go 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 pace uh, of life and you were the first person that has said public speaking skills but it is so true once you once you can conquer getting up and fumbling through like your third language uh, as a peace corps volunteer doing it in english is pretty easy yep exactly i can knock those out of the park now in english <laughs> well you've shared um a lot of good stories, and we have a, starting to have an understanding of your Peace Corps service. Even uh, though that this podcast is a little bit longer format uh, than most volunteers are, are given when when someone asks you, "Oh, how is being a volunteer?" Uh, it's still not enough to to get a sense of someone's service. But thank you for giving us the opportunity to understand a little bit more of what you experienced as a volunteer in Senegal. But before we close out the show, is there anything that you want to add uh, specifically related to it being Pride Month for those who are listening? Um, I have a large contingent of listeners that are those interested in Peace Corps and an equally large group that are those that are serving. So now you have an opportunity to, to speak to a captive audience of people and, and sort of maybe give them some advice or tips or anything you want to share. No pressure. But um, yeah, so basically don't be dissuaded if you're thinking about the Peace Corps and identify as anywhere in the LGBTIQ spectrum. Uh, 
the recommendation that I would give uh, is, well, now you can ch- basically choose your country, which is cool. And I would put a lot of thought into that. If you want to focus on kind of those types of issues in service, try to choose a country that it wouldn't necessarily put you at risk, but do your research regardless. If you are really obsessed with the idea of going to, I don't know, South Africa, and you've been obsessed with that country forever, but you might identify in as a member of our community, just do your research, be open about it kind of at the beginning with, especially with staff, so they're not going to put you in a like a riskier place. Understand that there could be consequences to actions, all that jazz that Peace Corps tells you. But just research, 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 research. Look into local groups. See if they're open to kind of expats. I know in Senegal they weren't. Uh, it was kind of a very – so like the LGBT community was very underground. And it was hard as an expat to break into that. So if, if you're looking for a community outside of Peace Corps, you know, do research into that. See if it's possible for you to find a cool group that you could do maybe in networking with someone who's local who identifies as LGBT to ask them for advice about what to do as opposed to just a Peace Corps volunteer, you know. Um, so my, don't be dissuaded about being Peace Corps if you identify there are a million strategies to figuring out how to navigate kind of the landmine life of being an LGBT volunteer or a minority volunteer. Uh, you know, any, anything that falls off of the normal white straight male spectrum, it's going to be a little bit different for each person. So just do research, figure out kind of the best strategy for you, where you want to be, and then, you know, take the plunge. Definitely. Don't be, don't be, don't make it a deterrent. Just the fact that you are part of this community or a different minority, use it to your advantage. And, you know, you do you, I guess. Perfectly said. Uh, even if I did put you on the spot a little bit there. <laughs> no problem. Well, Patrick, in closing, I like my guest to share a favorite local saying Uh, What local saying do you have to share with us today? So the saying that I'd like to share is um, which basically translates to slowly, slowly uh, the monkey gets the fruit from the tree, which basically is the story of my life in terms of uh, good things come, you know, just have a little bit of patience. And in Senegal, we said inshallah all the time, which is, you know, if God wills it. So uh, that is kind of my favorite saying. And I think that is uh, very, very fitting uh, to, to carry with you uh, as a volunteer in the Peace Corps and in life. Um, that, you know, slowly, you know, things will come. Uh, just, just give it time. Indeed. It's been true in my life anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Patrick, thank you for taking the time to share a little bit of your Peace Corps story with us, to talk about your experience as a a gay volunteer in Senegal. And I hope that there are other volunteers who are listening to this, uh, interested volunteers, that will find a lot of value from your experience and the lessons that you learned along the way. 
and I hope you have uh, an excellent Pride Month. Uh, hopefully, you have an opportunity to you know, celebrate down in uh, Mexico City. I'm, I'm assuming they have some sort of celebration. Am I am I correct in oh, thinking yes. that? It's huge. And the Pride Flags, I bike to work uh, the 1st of June, and all the Pride Flags are already out. I'm in my office is in kind of a cool LGBT-friendly zone, so I was very happy to see a million Pride Flags. <laughs> so... Can't wait. It's going to be a good month. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, we'll be we'll be in touch. Uh, I look forward to to hearing more about uh, your your life in Mexico City, and best of luck with uh, planning planning your wedding. Oh God, so much to do. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity, and yeah, best of luck with the podcast. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe so you get a new episode every single week. Additionally, if you want to hear my Peace Corps story, be sure to check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?